We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, the Nets suffered another loss to the Memphis Grizzlies tonight. How you feeling? Steve. Steve, my friend. My Canadian brother. My international brother. Do you know Jordan? He, he plays basketball. He's a big dude. But you know that dude that outplayed Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid? Yeah, you might be able to get him on the court in key possessions. You know, you did it the other game. But did you just forget? Did you have selective amnesia? What happened, Nick? What happened? I don't know, Jack. I wish I had the answer. We're going to dive into that and many more things from this game. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But I guess let's start with that final stretch because the Nets were down 22 at one point. Karis LeVert put the team on his back in the third quarter, got the game close. Ben Shuna almost blew it. Game still close. It's around you know the five-minute mark. Steve Nash, I think, takes a timeout. We assume Jared Allen's going to go back in the game. He elects to keep DeAndre Jordan in the game and doesn't get Jared Allen back in until the one-minute mark. It's it makes no sense at all. Like it literally does. We heard the reasoning in the last game, and it was uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies, and it was because Jonas Valanciunas um, was he liked the matchup on DeAndre Jordan. We can get to Jonas Valanciunas a little bit later. This was just a, a but he obviously of, left the game, so I think that's important to include. He he left the game for health and safety protocols, which is a reason unto itself. And the fact that this is affecting the Brooklyn Nets so heavily, it's just like the Nets are cursed in some weird way. But I, I, it, I don't understand. Like, what does DeAndre do? Like, you put it out on Twitter, Nick, and it sums it up perfectly. What does DeAndre Jordan do better than Jared Allen in any sense of the word? He does nothing. Zero. Zilch better than Jared Allen. And if you are wanting to win basketball games, I'm just going to... A bit of a coaching tip for Steve Nash. Play your better players. Yep. Play Karis LeVert. Play Joe Harris. Play Jared Allen. When we have our two best players and two bona fide superstars out, those are your three best players. Play them 30-plus minutes. And look, Karis LeVert was cooking, and he was absolutely awesome. There was uh, uh, the Steve, Steve, Stevie boy. 
goddamn yeah. Steve. It, it was it's tough to watch. It's so frustrating because everybody knows it. It's not like it's just the opinion of you and I. It's the entire Nets Twitter. I'm sure it's the opinion of some of the players. And Jared Allen just clearly is the better player at this point. And the matchup on the floor is perfect for Jared Allen. He's going against Gorgie Dang and freaking Brandon Clark. Like, we're not talking about some elite big bodies. Like, I'll hear the argument about DeAndre being a better matchup against JV, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, because he's such a big body and he did get the better of Jared Allen a couple times in the post. But he wasn't there. He wasn't even available. Like you said, Jack, he left the game at halftime for uh, health and safety protocol. So, like, what are we doing here? Like, goddamn, I'd rather see Jeff Green play small ball center than see DeAndre close any game. Like, I, it just has it, there's no purpose. He is so slow. And like after he ran back the court down the court and he was looking the wrong way once again. That's again, again, Nick, again. He got a layup <laughs> score on him. I think it was the same thing. I think it happened against Memphis as well. And it's just like, yeah. what are we doing? And like the only argument for DeAndre in anything that he does better than Jared Allen is maybe on ball post defense against bigger players. And that is not enough in the current NBA to give him more minutes because there's limited post players in the league, especially with like what Memphis was doing. They were just continuing to run pick and roll against DeAndre Jordan. They were able to turn the corner and either get a floater or an elbow jump shot. And it was just easy offense. Like they just kept doing the same thing over and over again. It's the same stuff we talked about in the previous recap against Memphis. And we even mentioned on the last podcast, what adjustment do we want to see? There was no adjustment. Doing the same thing and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. It's it's I'll say it, I'll say it again, and Steve needs to know that. Steve needs to have a get a tattoo of that goddamn saying on his on his face. Maybe not on his face because then he can't see it. On his arm, on his arm, because then he can actually look at it. But I I don't I'm, I'm befuddled, Nick. Yet again, I am befuddled, and I'm even more befuddled because. We've seen it happen, and we've seen the adjustment made, but it just goes back to square one. Two step forwards and one step back, or five steps back in this case. I, I don't know who had a worse day today, Steve Nash or Donald Trump. It seems to me that Steve Nash... <laughs> okay, Donald Trump is way worse than Steve Nash, so we're not even getting to that. He's one of the worst humans on planet Earth. Worst day, worst day, Nick, worst day. Not a yeah, worst yeah, person. Yeah. Steve Nash is a great human being, and I love everything that he said before the game about... The, the crisis of, you know, just the social construct of, of American fabric. But as a coach, and he just continues to do idiot, idiotic and stupid and just infuriating things. Or, in fact, he refuses to do the obvious things. Yeah, and things that he's done in the past in certain games, and they've won, and they just beat two good teams. Like, the Jazz obviously have been up and down a little bit, but they just beat Philadelphia. Like I said, not a great performance from them yesterday, but they still beat them. And I thought also... The staggering of the minutes with the second unit and the starters was pretty bad. Like, what we saw from that second unit in the first half was terrible. That was one of the worst stretches of basketball I saw in a minute. Like, they were just so bad on both ends of the floor, couldn't get anything going offensively, defensively not hustling, not putting any bodies on Memphis guys. And then in the second half, he elects to play these guys to start the fourth quarter, and it was tough. I think the one difference was Bruce Brown was with them and there was no Chris Gioza, but... It, it it's tough like that second unit when they're not scoring at all and they're such a negative it's hard for the team to win because the starters did everything they could to get the team back in the game take the lead and then it's just gone and they have to fight their way back and they almost do it uh matt and alex uh have popped in and it seems to be probably the first question that one of them asked to steve nash was okay this is steve nash's response Again, I'm I'm just uh, don't shoot the messenger. Steve Nash says he thought DeAndre Jordan gave good minutes. He wanted to get Jared Allen in the game, but didn't get the chance. Didn't want to burn a timeout because Jordan was doing a good enough job. Um, that good enough? A good enough that job. A good enough job. Like what? That's not a good enough quote. Like what are we doing here? DeAndre was not good. Like where are we setting the bar? He was not a good player. He literally wasn't even defending freaking Brandon Clark. Like I know that's part of the game plan, but like. Just the fact is that he's such a liability that you can't even pull him out at all because he moves so slow. Like, and offensively, he's just not effective in pick and roll anymore because he's going to the rim at the rate of a snail. You know what I mean? Like, Jared Allen is so quick, he forces moves from the defense. And then I thought that also kind of allowed Memphis to have an easier time doubling Karis LeVert because DeAndre was such a non-factor. They were just starting to blitz him in that fourth quarter. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Steve Nash also says the Nets were a step slow physically and mentally in the first half, being a step away in multiple scenarios. We got to put two halves together. We can chat about the first half, Nick. The first half was... I mean, the closing parts of the second quarter, I, I know you were a little bit enthused about, you know what, 15 points is a manageable lead, and it ended up being that because the Nets had a, a real chance of winning this game and took the lead for the first time in that third quarter 
thanks to Carlos Severt after just an immense third quarter from him. Uh, and they only had the lead of 15-14. So they were really not in this game in, the, in that first half. And there was just a... You could just tell. They were tired. There was a lack yeah. of energy. You looked at what the Philadelphia 76ers produced in the first half against the Brooklyn Nets. It's basically you, you copy and paste. Whenever a team is on a back-to-back and traveling, and you know the Nets aren't traveling you know, a couple of hours away. They're traveling to the West Coast. And you know, I expect there to be a little bit of a lackadaisical effort and execution. And, and, and there was that at the end of the day. So... I couldn't, and people were getting way too up in their feelings about just the way that we were playing, and it was on the players. It truly yeah. was, you know. The players weren't executing; they weren't showing the the required effort for an NBA basketball game against a, a good enough outfit in the in the Memphis Grizzlies. But things did change in the second half, and the we won. Karras almost won us the game. Yeah, he, it kind he of almost reminded me a little bit of the Boston game to an extent. Yeah, except we won that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I thought, you know, honestly, they did a better job of kind of making life easier for Karras in that game in the fourth quarter. I felt like he had the hot third quarter, but then in that fourth quarter, they just started to really attack him. But like you said, Jack, first half effort was just poop. Like, that's just a pretty simple way to put it. Like, I remember watching plays, and they're literally just a step behind and not contesting shots. And we talk about this all the time. Like, Memphis is not a talented offensive team, but they're professional NBA players. And if you give them open shots consistently, they're eventually going to start hitting them especially if they're fair, feeling very comfortable and for whatever reason this memphis team has some type of like swag against the nets where they feel like they're the superior team i think they've beaten them the last four times so it's just like they need to pick up the energy when they play a team like this and be grittier and they just were not yep yep basically so uh, it, it was the second half and, and i mean we can get to the second half nick it, it all started in that third quarter the Nets scored 47 points in the first half and gave away a 40 burger you know in the first quarter to, to the Memphis grizzlies in a team without john moran and jaron jackson um you know it, it's it, it just seems weird. Justice winslow too like they're missing it, other players as well like they're <laughs> missing so many guys yeah, I mean, in the first half, they did have Jonas Valanciunas. In yeah. the second half, they didn't. But in saying that, you know, it seems to me that certain teams seem to, like, get themselves up for the Nets and seem to hit some shots. And, you know, obviously, the Nets weren't great defensively either. But, yeah, that third quarter, Nick, talk us through it. Karras Avert, your boy, Cornrow Karras. He's better than Untuck Kyrie. He's better than Mast, LeBron James. He's better than everything, man. He can't, he can't do the throw anymore. He's got to keep the cornrows until he plays a poor game because he's... He's immense. He's so damn good. When he has that three-point shot going like he did, obviously, you're, you're not going to go hit five straight threes all the time. But when he has that going in the bag and teams have to come out and defend him like that, that's when he can really open up getting to the rim. And you know what I mean? And he felt very confident, I think, attacking almost any defender on Memphis. They're not necessarily filled with a whole bunch of elite defenders. And he just was hitting his spots and doing his thing. And he had that nice synergy with Jared Allen, especially when they started blitzing him a little bit when Jared Allen was out there because they had that synergy. And we saw him hit him on those quick rolls of the rim, either getting free throws or easy layups. And we talked about on the last show why is joe harris karis lavert and jared allen not closing the game when those three have the synergy and like you said jack they're the three best players you have right now with kevin durant and kyrie irving being out why are they not on the floor they've shown the ability to produce offense on their own without even the other two players on the floor doing anything they just have that type of combo and they can play off of each other and we didn't see that and that probably cost them the game because i just love what they can do and i just think joe is such a good like such a great help for uh for karis harris karis uh for karis because of just opening up the floor and like we talked to talked about it guys stick to him like glue like if Joe Harris is out there, a defender is watching him, and that's helping Karis avert. And it's just like Steve Nash just – I don't know if he was trying to, like, reward DeAndre for playing decent or whatever it was. It just wasn't the right move, and it cost the team the game. Not to keep getting back to that, but it, 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 it just – it's connected to everything because I felt like it also hurt Karis avert in that fourth quarter. Yeah, it really did because just a lack of space, a lack of verticality. Jared Allen is a much better offensive player as well. You know, he gets to the line. He's looking great in the post now with his footwork. It's just so crisp and so on point. You know, doing the work with Thiago Splitter and Amari Sotomayor. For the record, Nick, I did look up the stats because we had a chat about it last night on the buzz. In 40 minutes on the floor together this season, this was before tonight's game, as a three-player lineup, Joe Harris, Karras, and Jared Allen have a 134.8 offensive rating and 104.4 defensive rating for a, a plus 34.4 net rating. Not Those three... Uh, and, and look, I was scrolling through it, and it's fun you know, to have a look at the stats every now and then. And, you know, small sample size, 40 minutes isn't a great sample, but it's I enough bet you to if you look, look back from the sample size from last season, too, it'd probably still be pretty good. 
Yep, I, I, I don't doubt that at all, Nick. And look, I get that you're on a back-to-back. And look, Jared Allen's left 30 minutes. Kyle said 36 himself. You know, Joe Harris, 28. You know, you want to see that in the yeah, 30 sort of range. Yeah, I don't understand, Nick. I, I really don't. And Landry Shaman having 22. Look, uh, he got it going a little bit later. You know, Toyin Prince, uh, I thought, deserved a couple more minutes despite his uh, inefficiencies from Radically. the field. <laughs> he, he, I mean, offensively, he's going to be hit and miss, but he was plus 10 on the night. Yep. He did lead the team in that. Um, Karis Avert was plus 8. So I think there are a lot of things that could have been done different, and, and Steve Nash had a lot of control over that. You know, we've said before, you can only control so much as a coach out on the court, but you have to give the players the tools to, to succeed. And he didn't do that again. He didn't put out the best players. He didn't put out the best lineups um, in the second half where the, the game was there for the taking and the Nets were right there. They could have got some, you know, you have, you know, Jared Allen there. He's providing verticality and, and great roles and, and awesome screens. You have Joe Harris out there on the perimeter who is maybe the, the second best player at creating his own shot right now yeah. on this team. And if you'd only play him 28 minutes, it's you're you're expect like I don't understand. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be a little bit lost for words in this podcast, Nick, because it seems to me that we're repeating ourselves, and we don't want to have to repeat ourselves because it doesn't make for great content. But if Steve Nash is gonna keep repeating his mistakes, we're gonna to have to keep repeating our criticism. <laughs> Yeah, and also just put more on the players too. The beginning of the fourth quarter with that second unit, there were just some turnovers that are just not acceptable in an NBA game. Just loose dribbles and like, what are we doing here? You're trying to dribble in transition. There's like five guys. Like Bruce Brown was doing it. I think I saw Jeff Green throw a terrible pass too. It's just like, guys, like we do not have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We cannot afford to give away possessions because we're just not that efficient offensively without them because you're just lacking so much talent. And obviously – we talked about it too with the last game. Even missing a guy like Tyler Johnson hurts because I thought Chris Gioza was really bad tonight. Like I mentioned to you, I'm not sure if he's an NBA player. I feel more confident about that take today because he just has such a hard time getting a shot off and teams just don't respect him because they understand they can close out so easily on him because he's so small. And defensively, he was getting cooked too. Yeah, no, it's it's a totally fair summation, Nick. You're losing Tyler, not having Tyler Johnson is a, an underrated effect when you don't have your two best players as well. You know, the depth of the rotation is certainly getting squeezed. But you know, at the same time, you know, I think that you give a couple of those minutes to to the better players, and yeah, a different result could have happened. Matt has actually provided the full quote, Nick. He um, and he clarified that good enough was his own words. This is the full quote from Steve Nash on, DJ, on DeAndre Jordan. DJ was giving us good minutes. He was doing fine, playing well. We wanted to get JA back in the game. Unfortunately, at that point, he was stuck on the sidelines for a minute or two. Didn't really want to burn a timeout because DJ was doing fine. Just one of those unlucky situations. But I don't think that was a difference in the game. Turned the ball over a couple of times or took it into a crowd or got blocked when we maybe should have been patient. Yeah, but when it's like a one-possession game, I get that it. if you have Jared Allen out there and you don't have DeAndre Jordan out there, maybe the game opens up a little bit and maybe we get back in, in, in transition defense and we stop a couple of their offensive transition fast-break buckets. It's Or Jared uh, Allen cleans up a couple offense. I mean, he wasn't great on the offensive boards, only three tonight, but still, that's a solid number. Maybe he hits you with a putback or something like that, like you said, Jack. You know, obviously, you can always look at a one-minute stretch and say that's why you lost. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, the game was close enough and it's a comeback game. Yeah, we played trash for the first 44 minutes. But in that four-minute stretch, I think, what was it, a two-point game? The next yep. thing you know, it's six. Yep. And look, to, to be fair to Steve Nash, some of those points that he did make were true. 21 turnovers, you know, and, and in the game where we had 13 previously against the Philadelphia 76ers. And it's not like the Memphis Grizzlies are the Sixers or are the Celtics or are the Bucks or the Raptors even for, for that um, measure in terms of their defensive intensity and defensive acumen. The Nets were just poor and lazy with the ball in their hands. And whether it was, you know, make, taking poor shots or just giving the ball away, and especially in the key stretch, like you mentioned there as well, Nick. And your rebounding, especially in the first half, was I think it was like 35 to 20 or something like that. Yeah. I think I saw Chris Mulholland put out there. They did even it out to be 42 to 46. But again, the offensive boards 12 to 4. Extra yeah. possessions for a team, extra possessions for when you don't have, you know, your immense talent on. On, on the court, it just gives you an extra life. It gives you that extra little bit of energy. Offensive boards, and we see it with Jay, with Jared Allen. You know, he's, he's incredible. And when you see him get those offensive boards and kick it out to Joe Harris or kick it out to Karras or put up a shot or get to the line or whatever, you know, it, it's a big part of his game. It's a yeah. big part of why the Brooklyn Nets have had success in the recent stretch against Utah and Philadelphia. And I get being like at the set and the, at the start of the first half, you know, there was, a, I was quite measured and objective about it because it's just like, all right. 
Nets are probably going to lose this one. And look, we we went two and one over a stretch where I thought we'd probably almost go zero and three. And but now because the game was there for the taking, Nick, and the Nets partly lost it themselves, and Steve Nash, maybe largely, maybe partly, whatever you want to call it, almost lost it for them. He played a part in the in losing the game. You know, it's not all on Steve Nash, like you said, Jack. It's not the only reason we lost is because of the DeAndre Jordan stuff. Like, there's other plays where they could have been better, and if they didn't have a terrible first half, they they probably win this game by 10. But at the end of the day, you work with what you have, and I think that just puts you at such a disadvantage when you're trying to be at such an advantage. And I think, you know, getting back to the second unit a little bit, I think one of the problems is having Chris Gioza and DeAndre Jordan on the floor at the same time. They're both defensive liabilities. DeAndre yeah. wears Tim's. Chris Gioza is not even six feet tall so like they're just going to continue to attack on a regular basis and then I also hated the second unit that it was so damn small like I know you have to work with what you have but sometimes you have to make adjustments maybe Rodion's has to play or maybe you stagger Jeff Green or something like that or Torian Prince gets more minutes tonight because they were just going to work with like Kyle Anderson on them and it's like there's not much Joe Harris can do or you know Landry Shamit can do against Kyle Anderson if he's three inches taller and he, his, that's his game like he's going to work you in the post with his slow-mo stuff and you're not going to disrupt him then what are we doing <laughs> no no it's it's a totally fair point Nick and, and, and I'm with you on that you know I just think that there was uh, the expert we heard that Steve Nash say like he's going to toy with things he's going to experiment and stuff but you know he wasn't really doing a lot of that you know Chris Shows only did have eight minutes but was yeah. minus 12 in those eight minutes I thought that was a good adjustment to not play in the uh, second half uh, it was, it was. But DeAndre Jordan, it seems to me that it's just like, maybe he has this agreement with DJ. It's just like, you know what? Now that I'm starting, Jay, I'm still going to give you 15 minutes, mate. Don't worry about that. It seems to me he hasn't had like less than 17 minutes all season. I think even in the last game against Utah and Philly, he had around that sort of range uh, as well. I Except think the, the only game he didn't have a lot of minutes was the Fouls. Atlanta game. And and the and the game where he had yep. like about a 45 million yeah, fouls yeah, in like yeah, two yeah. minutes. Those are the only two games. And, Again, he's a a, a a fringe backup center at best. Like, you look across the league, you know, Alex Len, these sort of dudes. I'm like, yeah, DeAndre Jordan is in that same range. He's getting paid like a starting center uh, because of the because of his two best mates. But He couldn't playing. even do anything against Gorgie Dang and Brandon Clark, like two guys who are substantially smaller than him. Like, he couldn't work them on the boards and end up, like, giving the net some type of advantage. And I thought, you know, it's kind of funny is, like, the one good play he had was running out in transition. But, and ideally, like, you don't want your center running out in transition when you're getting killed on the boards. You should be going back to the rim to help. I get the play, like, you contested a jump shot and you ran out. But, like, knowing your team's getting killed, that just kind of shows. And there was that one possession. Landry Shamit lost the ball. But DeAndre was just sitting there, like, staring into space. Like, he could have gotten the ball. Like, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. When Landry Shamit got it in, like, the fourth quarter, he pulled it down. It's when he had, like, those back-to-back turnovers and just kind of, like, slipped out of his hands. But the ball just went past DeAndre. And I'm like, man, what are you doing? Yeah, nah, I'm with you, Nick. Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll see personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part? It's only $15, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Well, let's get to the positive. Karis yeah. was awesome, uh, and he told Matt Brooks and, and Nets Media um, in relation to his performance. I was due for one. I was shooting bad all season. Just a matter of time, to be honest with you. I mean, you had the confidence and faith in him, Nick. I wave it a little bit, and I feel a bit bad, and I'm glad to be eating my words. An incredibly efficient night for, for the Nets' third star. Karis Levert, 36 minutes, 15 of 23 from the field, 7 of 9 from 3, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, 43 points, 6 times, 5 boards. Did have the 5 turnovers, but when you have the ball in your hands that much, that's totally fine. Um, second best game of his career behind the Boston Celtics game, Nick? 
Yeah, I would probably say so. He put the team on his back. Obviously, I think he's probably had more important games, but this yep. is one that we'll probably end up forgetting because it was a loss. But what is it, 19 points in the third quarter, the highest yeah. for a net this season? It's funny that he scored 41st before Kyrie and KD. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just love the way he played out there. And I thought also, like, when he started getting blitz, like I brought up already like three times in the show, I felt like that really disrupted what the Nets were trying to do because no one else could really create or get open shots. And I felt like, all right, Steve Nash, you need to find a way to play off of that, especially knowing, you know, Karras is an experienced player at this point, but he's not a super experienced point guard. You know what I mean? This is still probably his second season essentially playing point guard and like have some stuff ready to make his life easier. Maybe have Joe Harris out there running some sets too, like, you know, just ready to do some stuff. Like, I just felt like he was just so all over the place. And was like, all right, Karis, go out there and win us the game. And the rest of your teammates are kind of playing sporadic. I'm not sure really many other guys played well tonight. Yeah, it was basically Karis LeVert. Jared Allen Joe was Har- good. Yeah, Joe Harris, Joe Harris was good. Joe Harris was, was uh, I don't think it was amazing, but he was good. Um, you know, if we're giving it he like a solid. Out, yeah, I'd give it like a six and a half, maybe a seven out of ten. You know, 13 points for him, 69 from the field. Did keep that streak going. I'm sorry, Richard Jefferson, no longer 69 games. It is now 70 games straight with the with a three-pointer. Had a couple of dimes too. Did have a block. Yeah, I don't just... I, I, it seems to me that whenever Joe is out there, he's going to be serviceable enough. You're never going to get a below five, below six game from Joe Harris. Whereas the guys in this roster, you know, Landry Shamet, TLC, Bruce Brown, Chris Chioza... Torian Prince, those guys can give you like an 8 out of 10, and then they can give you like a 2 out of 10. There's not enough. Sometimes a 0. I'm I'm not going to be that harsh. I'm not going to be that harsh. Um, DeAndre Jordan's going to give you like a negative 2 every single night. But in saying that, yet because the when the Nets don't have their superstars there, it needs to be a greater team performance. Like we saw against Philly, like we saw against Utah, the team needs to really... You know, the, and against maybe a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, which doesn't have as much talent and similar sort of offensive talent. In fact, the, on paper, I think the Nets have much more talent. You, know, you, have, you have Karis Levert, you have Jared Allen, and you have Joe Harris. Those are three of the four or five best players. You know, I could name, what, Dylan Brooks is the, the best player currently playing for the... I mean, Jonas Valanciunas when he's healthy. But yeah, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark is, is pretty good. Kyle Anderson torched us last time, but wasn't amazing this time. So, I, I yeah, it was... Not good enough for the rest of the team. Wasn't good enough from Steve Nash. And, you know, Karis is only so good that he can't drag the team, you know, on himself. You know, his shoulders, he's, he's, he's bulked up a little bit, as has Jared Allen, but he can't carry us, Nick. He can't carry us. Yeah, and I also felt like he was starting to get fatigued and it was starting to show on the defensive end. You know, at the end of that third quarter where he played the entire third quarter, I was like, man, he's having a tough time getting around screens, not having that effort. And it, it's tough to do. It's still early in the season, a big workload, second night of a back-to-back. And, like, back to Joe Harris, like, they have to get him more shots, especially when there's no KD and Kyrie. Nine shots just isn't enough. Like, he has to be taking at least 12, if not, like, 15 shots. You know what I mean? And Joe's not going to necessarily force it, but you have to run stuff and try to set him up. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, Nick. And I, Memphis did a decent enough job making it tricky and, and difficult for him to, to get the shots that he did want. But, you know, we saw in the last game, you know, Joe Harris got, like, six of nine. Or was it yeah, something six like of that? nine and, like, Five of seven uncontested looks. Yeah, it, 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 and look, he's going to take the shots. And, you know, the the three that he did hit tonight was a contested one yeah. as well. He's I not think afraid all his takes t- were almost contested. Like, he hit a couple of mid-rangers that were, like, fadeaways. Yeah, I saw Gotham's Reckoning put out, like, a, a pretty insane stat about I think he's, like, 58% on open threes this year. And it's a remarkable stat that he's continuing to improve across his career. And, yeah, nine shots. Look, he should be having the second most amount of shots. And, look... TLC has eight, Landry Shaman has seven, Torian Prince has 13. Joe Harris should be having 15, 12 to 15 on a night like tonight, and he should be playing 32 minutes at the very least. Yeah, I agree. I think he should be playing 32. There's no reason. Like, if he's coming off the bench, that's fine, but you still need to find him minutes. You know what I mean? And play him with Karis LeVert and Jared Allen like we talked about. Uh, I guess let's jump into Bruce Brown. I thought he kind of had a rough game and a, a night where the Nets could have used some offensive punch, some of his pick and roll, some of his playmaking, and thought this was a pretty bad game for him offensively. His handles looked really rough tonight. Yeah, look, and I think that we, we're all drinking the Bruce Brown Kool-Aid, but we need to uh, remain somewhat measured about what he is as a player. 
He isn't a great offensive player. He has some decent offensive skills, but he ain't elite in any of those areas. He's yep. not a good three-point shooter. You know, his handle is a little sloppy and a little bit high. You know, he He's really still- careless for a guy that doesn't have a tight handle. You know, usually if you have a bad handle, you're very protective of the ball, but he, like, stands straight up, like you said, Jack. Yeah, and, like, Gorgie Jane just, like, took the ball and, and snatched it off him a, a couple of times. So I did have three turnovers. How many himself. times has anybody said that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think it's an awareness thing as well from yep. Bruce Brown. Uh, you know, a lazy sort of mentally. And yep. you can forgive that, you know, being tired off a back-to-back. And, you know, we're not going to mince words about Bruce Brown's performance tonight. It was bad. It was poor. You know, two points, one or three from the field. Did have six boards. He's always going to be a good rebounder. I do like him out there. And I don't think that this performance should discount him from starting going forward because I still think you know if you're giving me the options of you know who else could sort of be there the best facsimile for what Spencer Dinwiddie did provide is Bruce Brown Bruce Brown is a better defender as well and that eases the burden on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on that end of the floor as well he can hustle up I guarantee you he'll, he'll get a heap of fan, a fast break and transition buckets and KD throwing some some quarterback passes to him same with Kyrie Irving but tonight it just he didn't get it done and he needed to be better. You know, when we needed some offense, we needed some playmaking. You know, he that shot that he got was was it the first or second basket for the Brooklyn Nets tonight? He loves that little sort of floater thing because yep. he doesn't have the greatest jumper in the world. But yeah, it, I think that when the Nets needed some energy, needed a little bit of spark, Bruce Brown could have provided, and he has provided it for us in in a couple of games uh, so far. But uh, it just wasn't his night tonight. Yeah, and like you said, Jack, defensively, rebounding-wise, still fine. And obviously, when he's playing next to Kyrie and KD and whoever else is in the starting lineup, it doesn't really matter. It's just a night like tonight where we could have used some of that extra boost. And Torian Prince tried to give it to us. He did at certain points, had some successful stuff. Obviously, you like to see the 7 of 7 from the free throw line. Obviously, three of those came on a three-point attempt foul. But... He was just kind of all over the place. Like he had his good moments, then he had his bad moments. And that's kind of been the case with Torian Prince as a net. Usually it's game to game, quarter to quarter, play to play. But uh, it's an experience. Yes, yeah, the Torian Prince experience, as you mentioned. It's not Tuesday, it's TP Saturday, TP Friday <laughs> for you guys, sorry. So it's uh, weekend Torian Prince time. And, and for, for the record, 16 points on 4 of 13 shooting, but did have, like you mentioned, did get to the free throw line seven times. 1 of 4 from 3, did have four boards, uh, had a block and a steal as well. I thought that his activity yep. w- was good on both ends of the floor. Um, sometimes a little bit over-eager. That foul at the end of the, the third was mm-hmm. really frustrating really pointless and frustrating and you know gave the, the Grizzlies a little bit of momentum, um, which I don't think that they deserve to have, especially given the quarter. You know, the Nets, ha- the Nets had a better than a nine-point uh, differential in that third quarter. They had like a 12 to 15 better um, the third quarter. That was just awesome and because Karis Levert was just so damn freaking insane. But Toy and Prince bailed them out, and that's just Toy and Prince sometimes. But overall, I thought that without Toy and Prince tonight, you know, and... 24 minutes, you know, I would have liked to see that, you know, a bit 26, 27-ish. I thought that he did more than good, despite the fact that he did still have his moments and his lapses. Like you said, Jack, at the very least, he provided energy and helped kind of spark some of that stuff in the third quarter. You know, he was getting active in transition, you know, getting to the rim. He had a couple layup attempts, which is something nice from him to kind of open up his game a little bit more, hit that one big jumper. But, you know... It's like if you're depending on Torian Prince to be your second or third best player in a game, like you're probably going to lose unless he's just having some crazy type of night. And it's like he was essentially probably one of the five best nets tonight. I would have said I'd go Karras, Joe, Torian. Torian yeah, I'd probably go Jared Allen. Allen still because he didn't he didn't have any as much as he wasn't like very good and super impactful. He didn't have any glaring like negatives. No, Other than totally... when JV kind of beat him up in the first half, but that's going to happen. No, no, I, I totally agree with you there. And and Jared Allen again continues to really get to the line and was was much better there tonight. You know, hitting six of seven. So I think the one thing, I, another adjustment I would have made if I was Steve Nash, TLC wasn't feeling it at all tonight. And 18 yeah. minutes for him when he was one of eight shooting, didn't hit a three, um, did get a couple of boards and and a, and, a, and a dime. But you give, you know, you take three of those minutes away from TLC, four or five minutes away from TLC, give them to Torian Prince. You know, I think that that helps the Nets. Does it get in the win? No, they lost by or five points. Or even Rodion's, honestly. Like, if TLC yeah. just, he looked a little slow tonight, and maybe he's tired. Like, he's been asked to do a lot in terms of chasing people around, and I think yep. this is a game where I dust off Rodion's, and I say, show me what you can do for two minutes. If you play well, you can keep going out there. If not, I'm going to take you out. But he's the type of guy that you instantly know if he's going to have a good or bad game because he just is that type of player. 
No, that's it's a good point. You know, there's a lot of those guys you can sort of feel that with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, Toy and Prince if he's hitting a shot early, or all the rest of them. So, yeah, it was unfortunate um, because there were a lot of things that could have been done better. But whether that's on the players as well as as the coaching staff, it was just a, a really frustrating sort of thing, Nick. Is you know the the turnovers as we alluded to, 27 fast break points for the Memphis Grizzlies. At 52 points in the paint, you know, some of that's probably DJ moments, but also Jared Allen you know, was letting some offensive boards come down as well. And sometimes he did get switched out, and sometimes yeah, the rebounding wasn't it wasn't good enough in, in certain points, especially on the offensive glass. So yeah, the transition the... stuff, obviously, I just want to touch on that, Jack, before we lose that yep. point. Obviously, some of it's connected to turnovers, but some of it's just straight-up lack of hustle. There was just too many plays where Memphis got numbers in transition. And, it, and like against the second unit, I just think that's like, somewhat unacceptable because like you're not super talented offensively we're not talking about a second unit that has you know joe harris karis avert and like all these weapons and things like that like you guys are struggling tonight you're not hitting your shots so what do you do you have to play hard and make some of those hustle plays and that's what they didn't do and that's what you have to do as a bench player in the nba yeah that definitely nick was there anything else you wanted to touch on game wise before i wanted to touch on the COVID stuff Kyrie and kd um, before we do end this one. But any, any other sort of nitpicky game stuff? I mean, we've, we've dived into it pretty deep, as we always do. Any other sort of takeaways? Yeah, i just say Jeff Green was pretty solid, other than the three turnovers. Yep. You know, three of five from deep, had the nine boards, four assists. I thought he was pretty good in terms of switching and stuff. Like I mentioned to you, I'd rather have seen him finish the game over DeAndre Jordan at center, just because, like, what is DeAndre doing? And that would have provided you five out and given you some different looks. So, you- over. Go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to ask about him, Nick. Do you think he should start when KD comes back alongside in the front court at the small forward or power forward position? Yeah, I probably do. I think he's just a little bit – he's a lot less sporadic than Torian Prince, and he gives you that veteran presence and a guy yep. that is just going to do his job. And he also gives you that nice switch ability where he can also go on a center. He's done okay against guards, and he's going to you know put some effort out there, and he's a good rebounder, and he provides the net some strength and physicality. Yeah, Green, KD, and Jared Allen. You know, that gives me a lot of confidence uh, for the Brooklyn Nets defensively. A lot of switchability. Yeah, and look, uh, Torian Prince alongside Karis Avert. Uh, I mean, there's there's not the greatest data for, for that, but yeah, that's a, a, no, a discussion. Joe for, Harris. Yeah, exactly. That's all that matters. Yeah, it, put Joe Harris with anyone and everyone's going to be okay. Nick, as we alluded to earlier in the podcast, Jonas Valanciunas was pulled in mid-game. I saw it via Chris Haynes. We were chatting about it. And we were shocked, you know, th- that this happened. We we obviously saw last game Seth Curry, um, you know, he was on the bench. Uh, Joel Embiid and, and the Philadelphia 76ers are quarantining. Apparently, they're on their way to, to New York right now. COVID is having a true impact on the game. And I spoke about it a little bit on Twitter before that I'm like, the NBA doesn't seem to be taking this as seriously as they were in the bubble. And it seems to me that there is a, a somewhat careless nature. I'm not going to accuse anyone of anything, but... In, in all honesty, a lot of us, a lot of us Nets fans were like, why is this game still going ahead? Yeah, it's definitely very confusing. The only thing I can think of is maybe they have more data, more science, and more information than we do. I know I saw a clip that uh, Will Jackson shared with me kind of referring to how they've been using some of the tracking data to realize that it's been highly unlikely for players to pass it on the court because they're not spending enough time next to each other. But I think it's still concerning because it's not like this is a virus that's been around for a long time and there's so many studies and you know how it acts every single time. So, And like we've talked about in the past, Jack, like one COVID case could ruin an entire season because you don't know how guys recover and how it can impact you and what it does with scheduling. I I really thought tonight's game was going to get postponed. That's what I personally would have done. Like, does it really matter? Like the second half of the schedule isn't even made yet. This is one game against Memphis. And I think at the end of the year, there's probably going to be more than one postponement and not every team's going to finish with 72 games. If I had a guess. Yeah. We saw the OKC Houston game got postponed early in the year, quite early on. And you know, that it made the most sense. I, I just thought that it was reckless in the, in the decision-making and you know, the, they, they are a player-driven league. The, the emphasis on the players, they give the player empowerment, all this sort of stuff. But, you know, you've got to put the, the health and well-being of the players and staff, you know, first and foremost at hand. And, you know, Steve Nash did say that he was confident with, you know, the, the, the health and safety protocols that the, that the NBA does have in place in relation to COVID. So, you know, he knows more than me. But to me, it wasn't the greatest look. And, you know, we analyzed the game. But I, I think that there are things that are bigger than a basketball game. And, and the health and safety of 
of the, the players that we love, especially, uh, and, and their families and the staff at hand matters more than just a, a performance that we dissected in a, a, a dumb Jared Allen non-decision or whatever. It, it, it irked me, Nick. It, it really irked me. And I think I'm going to be probably going a bit harder on JVT this week. Yeah, and I also think that it was kind of like, I don't want to say ironic. I'm probably looking for a different word here. But then you mentioned Jonas Valanciunas, you know, leaving the game for yeah. health and safety protocol. And obviously they said he didn't test positive, but obviously there's some type of trace or something why he didn't play in the second half. So it's just like, it just seems very risky. And it's at a point where I, I feel like it could be really bad in a week where the NBA has yeah. kind of played games with a couple of these th- these situations where it's like, okay, you know, some teams they've made guys sit out and then other games they haven't. It's like, maybe they should just take a week and reset. You know what I mean? And get things right. And, and why are we getting results mid-game? What, yeah, what I don't f- understand that. that. What, how, how does it make sense, Nick? Like, why why is Seth Curry loud on the bench? Why is Jonas Valanciunas playing? Like, I, I understand, like, I saw Rachel Nichols pick on the jump or whatever. It's just like, they get the rapid test, and then they get the PCR test, and then they get the results whenever. But it seems derelict in their duty to let the players go out there. If they are infected with the virus... And they are then have a really high likelihood of infecting others because this is an incredibly viral um, disease. And it, it just makes it, it really makes me angry that it is so careless because it affects so many people, not just like, oh, some of these guys might be asymptomatic. Oh, they're, they're, they're fit, they're athletes, they're going to be fine. But it's not just that, it's, it's the ramifications beyond it and just the optics as well the optics for me it it just it really makes me frustrated because the nba did such a fantastic job in the bubble and obviously you can't do a bubble again i was in favor of regional bubbles and sort of doing that way i do like back-to-back elements and and all that sort of thing but then why didn't the memphis group i don't know I'm and really... The thing is, and i'll say this too the steph curry thing i mean the steph curry steph curry thing is like you said jack he te- he had a test. Like, why was that not test not confirmed before the game? Like, yep. why is he even in the arena? And if the test you were waiting on it, he doesn't even have to be there. He's not playing. Like, it just was kind of pointless. The Valanciunas thing, I maybe could understand. Maybe they got news that you know Valanciunas's fa- family friend or something tested positive, and he had seen him the day before. And they're like, yep. okay, that's news that just came to us. We're gonna pull him out of the game precautionary. But the Seth Curry thing, I, I have nothing to say. There's no way to really defend that. And I gave you know the NFL a ton of shit for the way they handled things and i thought the nba was going to do a better job and they have but not to the extent in which i thought they were especially after being so successful in the bubble yeah it seems money is profits over lives profits over well-being profits over health uh, that's just how it looks nick and i'm not accused uh, in fact i am accusing you know th- that's just what it is we need to get these games and when you get the hundred million dollars into the, the billionaire owners pockets and the players pockets i think that the players, especially as we're going to move into Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, we've already had our best player affected by this. Yep. And Kyrie more Irving, once. more than once, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I I could rant for a lot, but I'll save that for JBT and probably the outlet um, in, in future days and future podcasts. But Nick, Kyrie Irving, we saw Pooch provide some much better well-sourced credential reporting uh, around Kyrie Irving's absence with the team, obviously for personal reasons. He alluded to those reasons being... You know, uh, the effect of the Breonna Taylor uh, and the, just the whole, just the world thing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. What was going on in Washington? What hasn't been going on in terms of the inaction um, of certain police forces around the country? I totally get it. And then we heard Kyle Lowry also take a, a, a yeah. game out as well for personal reasons. Full power to those guys. And we had people up in my mentions sort of asking, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that, but. Well done by Pooch um, for, for providing much better, well-sourced, credentialed reporting. People that are criticizing Kyrie Irving, have a look in the mirror. If this was you, and uh, maybe you just don't know how to prioritize your mental health and you think that these guys are athletes and, and uh, are they're just there for your entertainment. But who are we to judge how a person is affected by whatever news it is? We heard Kyrie Irving last year take off a game or two for, due to the death of Kobe Bryant, his, his great mentor and friend. And the news that is currently happening right now, I took a day away from basketball and, and, and got out in nature to, to sort of escape from it as well because I might not be in America, but I'm quite closely linked to it with you and, and friends over there and just the country itself has an important place in my heart. So for Kyrie Irving to prioritize his mental health, I think takes strength. I think he's incredibly 
incredibly moving and a great role model to be doing so. And those that are judging him and those that are continuing to judge him for his lack of communication. Oh, he didn't tell Steve. <laughs> Why isn't he telling Steve Nash? Let him do however the hell he wants to do it. If he is, you know, needs to take some time, uh, apparently Steve as well said before the game, and I'm, if I'm rambling, I'm sorry for those listeners at home, but he did say that he's, he wants it to remain a private matter. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it should be. If a person has personal reasons, it is not your right to know what those personal reasons are. We don't need a PR media report. We don't need an announcement from the coach. It's not an ankle injury. It's not a knee injury. This is someone's personal health, well-being, and mental well-being. That's theirs to focus on and theirs to sort out. We don't have the right to know about it. Yeah, and uh, like we're talking about taking off two games, two days after what was historically one of the worst days in the United States history. And it was also led up to other negative events that have been going on all throughout 2020. And like, I don't know, do people not have empathy? Like, do they not feel for other people? Like, you know what I mean? And like, I'm never going to tell anybody how to feel about a certain situation, especially when I know it probably is having more of an effect on them. Like it goes back to like the racist stuff that we dealt with in 2020. Like I'm a white person. I'm not going to tell a black person or someone of color how to deal with negative events towards them. Like do whatever you need to do because it's bullshit. Like the things that we've seen happen is so terrible. So I don't care if Kyrie takes off a game or he takes off a week. Like everyone's just going to blow it out of proportion because of who he is. And they just want to just, I don't even understand the point of it. I don't understand the ba- understanding of bashing people. That's never been my type of thing, especially yeah. when it's not warranted. It's not like he's directly impacting their lives and making their lives worse. I mean, yeah, people will find a reason to get upset because that's just the way they are. You know, They're angry they're at their own lives. <laughs> angry at their own lives and they need to project in some form or fashion. I will ask you, Nick, I, I know the answer to this, but I'm sure other people will want to, to hear what your thoughts are and maybe disagree with them or agree with them. Do you think that he made the wrong decision by not communicating beforehand with Steve Nash or is it his own right to sort of do and communicate and deal with the, the ongoing tragedy that is the American the fabric. Um, what are your thoughts on how Kyrie Irving, I guess, communicated with his teammates, coach, uh, et cetera? I mean, it's not like he pulled a Derrick Rose and had a no-show and didn't come to the arena and flew back to another state. Like, he literally texted them and said he wasn't going. Much as we know, he was ready to go to the game. He put on his shoes and he felt upset and he didn't want to play. You know what I mean? Like, or it just it just didn't feel right and he just felt like it was wrong. So who knows in the exact moment what he was thinking? I have no problem with that. He told the team he wasn't going to come. He texted them the next day and probably explained a little bit further. That's not uncommon. Like, you know what I mean? If something bad happens in your life, you hit up your boss and you say, hey, I can't come in today. Something crazy is going on. Your boss will be like, okay, I hope everything's okay if it's a good boss. And the next day they might ask you, is everything okay? Ask you more about the situation. And that's probably what just happened. Like, that's pretty common employment stuff. Yeah, I had a person in my mentions say, I'm going to do what Kyrie Irving did and not tell my boss and not, and not rock up. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, have fun with that. Okay, but dude. here's the funny thing is like that person is like wherever you work, every circumstance is different. Like there is such thing as PTO, pay time off, and you can use that time off regardless of how you want. Your boss has no say in how you use it. You literally say, hey, I'm taking off today. It could be for mental health. It could be to take care of your children. It could be to go on vacation. It's your pay time off and you can do what you want with it. Obviously, the NBA is a different situation, but at the end of the day, people are making it seemed like it's ludicrous that you just can't take a day off like i've taken days off for no reason just because i didn't want to work like that's a real thing that people do yeah we, look we've given Kyrie the criticism um we've tried to remain as objective as possible but uh, i think the the attack on him and, and in relation to the circumstances of what he has done or hasn't done by not playing um it, it, it irks me like in relation to what i sort of uh, it's attack on a person's character and their well-being which I'm, I'm not a fan of. Like, you With know, a if lack you say- of evidence. I think that's what drives me nuts. If you're attacking Donald Trump's character because of everything that he's done and said over the last years, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. fine because there's evidence of that. You literally know nothing about Kyrie Irving and who he is other than some quotes you hear after a basketball game because we know half of you aren't paying attention to what he does off the court in terms of helping people. Yep, yeah, no, it's totally fair, Nick. But the other superstar we have has been continuing to test negative and he could be back to face his first team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Do you think that Second this is the Jack, Seattle Supersonics? No, <laughs> oh, please. All right, Jeff Green here. You yeah, there we go. Jeff Green squad too. There we go. Um, but in saying that, uh, are you excited to see the Slim Reaper back in the black and white? Always excited to see Kevin Durant play, even when it wasn't on the Nets. He's just that type of player you kind of just enjoy. And I, 
KD is the type of player where you just watch him play sometimes and you're mind blown. Even though you've seen the play a thousand times, just seeing him do it again, you're just like, it doesn't make sense for a player of this size and stature to be able to move the way he does and have the type of skill and touch he has. Absolutely. He's going to give the, the team a massive boost. One final question I want to ask you, Nick. Given that we have KD and Kyrie likely returning really, really soon, are you happy with where the team is currently at? Yeah, I mean, I think I can. I would be happier if they won more games, obviously. And I think a lot of the games were within reach of winning. Like you could tell me they could probably be what seven and three. Games? I reckon yeah. seven and three. I mean, you can make an argument. Maybe they're even eight and two. Like yeah. if if some things go right, because the t- games they've lost have all been the bad teams and games they all got themselves back into. You're looking at this game. You're looking at the other Grizzly game. You're looking at the game against the Hornets. You're looking at the game against the Wizards. And the Hornets and Wizards game, they had a chance to tie at the end. You know, in the other Memphis game, they lost in overtime. So they're all within reach. And and not to take a shot at Steve Nash, and I thought this is a, a trending Twitter topic too, is like if it was a veteran head coach or somebody who had coached a team a year prior, they might win these games. And I think a lot of it is a learning experience for Steve Nash, and hopefully it helps the Nets in the long run. And we kind of always knew it was going to be the case. Uh, that he was going to have these growing pains. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully, you know, these growing pains aren't for much longer. Uh, For the record, um, via Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN Radio, the Nets are now 1-4 in in games that were within a five-point margin in the last five minutes. So haven't been great in the clutch so far. Hopefully, KD coming back can certainly help that and some better coaching decisions going forward. But 5-5, Nick, I'll take it. I think that all the things that we've sort of seen and had criticism over and all the, the misgivings relation to the team are correctable and yep. you know hopefully they're correctable sooner rather than later and the nets can go above 500 and get themselves some you know yeah, some breathing room some leeway and just work themselves into form uh, on both ends of the floor yeah and i think we've seen enough good play for from enough players to give you confidence in the rotation moving forward like we're seeing you no know, karis levert start to, start to find his groove jared allen obviously has been playing great kevin durant Kyrie already playing good joe harris has been doing his thing jeff green's getting comfortable with his new teammates bruce brown's getting minutes and a role that fits him so i think there's a lot of pluses obviously there's some minuses in the play of probably landry shaman and deandre jordan and probably chris gioza but you don't necessarily have to count on those guys a ton throughout the season. So I think they should be okay. You know, maybe there'll be some adjustments to DeAndre situation. If Nick Claxton's healthy, maybe you can push him for some minutes. Who knows? We will see, Nick, but at this point... And I'll say that, Jack. That's probably one player that I'm really excited to watch that we haven't seen yet is Nicholas Claxton. Obviously still dealing with that knee injury. Hopefully he's back pretty soon. I think he tweeted something or posted something on Instagram that said soon this week. Yeah, I saw that and Nets fans lost it. I was certainly really enthused. He's looking good on the bench, that's for sure. And his hairdo is... I mean, he might have the best hair in the NBA. I'm a big fan of it. But Nick... I'm sorry, I want to say this one thing, Jack, just about Nick Claxton. He can really help the Nets in two areas that they've struggled so far early this season, defense and rebounding. That's one thing he already proved to be pretty good at. Obviously, I'm not saying his basketball IQ on the defensive end is super high yet, but he at least shows the natural talent to do things like that. So it should be pretty good. But I know you're about to wrap it up, Jack. Always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody. And you can find us on all streaming platforms.